What's that Twitter account? The XG. Uh, philosophy. Philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you see their them put the wolves colors on the Brighton badge for? Oh my god! When they that, posted they the really, shot map or whatever of the of the game against funny. United. <laughs> Damn, no, I'm going to look that up right now because that's, like, fucking on point. <laughs> Let me see this. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, like, a combined badge, too. Holy yeah, it's like, the, it's, like, the hexagon or whatever from the wolves' badge and, and the seagull. What's up, everyone? It's Hardcore Football. Uh, it's your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, how you doing? Yo, I'm good. Um, just got back from vacation, actually, and it was my first day back in the office in over a week, and that was interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be nice to just uh, take a load off and talk some football. How have you been, Phil? I've been, I've been okay. Uh, yeah, back in the office myself after a vacation of sorts. Of sorts? <laughs> well, I'm not going to do any HIPAA violations on here, but... No, yeah. <laughs> um, returning to the office, though, like, after a break, it is a bizarre thing. Like, it shouldn't feel as weird as it does. Yeah, and and the worst part about it is going through all the emails like just kill me. <laughs> um, but hey, got to pay the bills, right? Yeah. What's what's weird is it weirder to go back to the office after a long break or to see Lionel Messi in a PSG kit? <laughs> Lionel Messi in the PSG kit, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that is the strangest thing. I don't I don't know that I'll ever uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. It's weird, man. It's so yeah. weird. I'm sure we'll get onto it, but good yeah. lord. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing. Well, um, before we get on to the meat of the episode, we got tons to talk about today. Transfer window stuff. Um, lots of transfer talk as as we head towards deadline day, which is tomorrow. We've got Premier League action, La Liga, um, and obviously Liga in with, with that big momentous occasion. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so tons to cover. Um, so if you're finding us for the first time, hopefully um, you've already found our, our Twitter at HXC football. Um, but you can also find our podcast on all the big platforms, um, Spotify and uh, Apple podcasts in particular, but really any platform that you get your podcast on, you can find us. Um, so subscribe to us, um, rate and review if that's a thing. Uh, follow along and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you found a, uh, a new, a new uh, football podcast for your, for your commute or your uh, whatever your return to work after a long layoff. Um, so, <laughs> so Mika, as we dive into transfer window and talking about this insanity that's occurred over these past Really, the insanities happened over the last like few days, 
more so than, than the last couple right. of months. But, um, but first and foremost, uh, amongst these moves is Cristiano Ronaldo has returned to Manchester United from Juventus, um, end of the window move and, uh, a nostalgic one for United fans. What was your reaction to, to Ronaldo returning, um, to the Red Devils? Yeah, it's a fascinating move. Uh, Messi and Ronaldo moving in the same window is is just a lot. Um, I've seen it speculated that Messi maybe opened like a space-time continuum portal something, (laughs) like a rip in the app. I I don't even know. Some kind of, I don't know. He changed the atmosphere somehow by winning (laughs) Copa America, basically. And then from there, just like this cascading effect of madness <laughs> has <It's>... happened. But <laughs> uh, Ronaldo to United, I mean, it's certainly uh, an interesting move, I think. It's really interesting because it felt like these links to Manchester City came out. And then almost as soon as that happened, it's like, oh, no, United's got him. And they announced him. And it's like... To me, it feels like the spite fence of football transfers. <laughs> like, <laughs> how far are you willing to go to to spite your neighbor? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because the outlay for him, as far as transfer fee, is not that much. Right. But the wages, what's being reported is is eye watering to say the least. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, so that this it's a significant outlay for a player of his age. Obviously, he'll. I have no doubt he'll bang goals. Like I, sure. I don't doubt that at all. I don't really understand what move is from a sporting sense because Manchester United have so many attackers, so many good attackers too, young attackers. Um, and and uh, I just don't know how that's going to work. Um, and so sporting wise, it's kind of unclear to me. And I know we have a listener question on that, but. Um, Maybe marketing wise, this is maybe maybe the Glazers think that they are doing doing something clever here with the I'll say post COVID, even though it's not really post COVID, but the post COVID kind of economic circumstances. Maybe they think they can make their money twofold by signing Ronaldo because he's still very marketable, as yeah. we know. So um, the motivations for this are unclear to me, other than again spiting your neighbor and, and nostalgia. <laughs> but I. I I try to believe that these gigantic clubs don't make decisions based on things like that. Yeah. So <laughs> just, yeah, a fascinating one. What do you think about it? I, well, I, the reaction to it has been really interesting because I am, I, whatever the furthest thing you can get from a Ronaldo fanboy is whatever the opposite of that is. Um, that's me because he's played for United strike one. He's played for Real Madrid, like also like evil empire at like at a time where they were essentially like the evil empire of, of European <laughs> football. Um, and he's played for Juve, which again, another like, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sorry to the UVA fans. I'm sure we have UVA fans who listen to this podcast and I apologize in advance, but for anyone who's from the States, 
and has been to medieval times. The fantastic entertainment <laughs> renaissance fair, whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> the black and white knight is evil, right? So like he's like uh, the bad guy. Okay. He's like the bad guy. And that is exactly Juve, Juve is that. So he's lined up for these three teams that in my mind are three of like the most hateable, easily hateable teams on earth. Um and he is not, I mean, I, we won't dive into all the reasons that Ronaldo is disliked, but most notably, I mean, <laughs> credible accusations of sexual assault, like not yeah. great. So yeah. I, I'm not like the... I'm definitely not the guy for for like a nuanced take on Ronaldo returning to United. I just don't get it. Like like you said, and we can yeah. we can talk about Zoom and Raf's uh, at Zoom and Raf 11's question, which was how does Ronaldo fit in Manu's plan? Seems like teams have to restructure to play around him and him and Messi in the past. Who's the odd man out? Because Greenwood is the goods, and mm. that to me, like we saw it at Juve when he showed up and destroyed Dybala's career, <laughs> like <laughs> single-handedly. Well, I think he's still got some career left, but yes, yeah. I take your point. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a stretch of his career, we'll say. Like, yeah. significantly impacted his his ability to contribute in that side. Um, and I think we're about to see him do a similar thing to some of these young United attackers because he's very specific. Like at the time when he joined Juve, he only played on the right. Now he only plays through the center. Like he will only play as a center forward essentially. And United made this big deal of extending Cavani. They have Marcus Rashford. They have Mason Greenwood. And I'm just like, I mean, I may be proven wrong, but I just don't get where Ronaldo fits into that without severely impacting one of those guys, at least, if not like at least forcing them to play a different position. Um, and that's just such a gamble right now because they're at points in their career, not Cavani, obviously he's a known quantity. He's, he's, you know, they brought him in to get the goals. Um, but Rashford and Greenwood are both at stages in their career where Greenwood is in that, you know, rising star phase of he needs some, some care, some TLC, but he needs the playing time to continue to develop. Rashford is in the, like he's entering like the prime and he needs to start playing like all the time. If he wants to be a serious like contributor at this level. So I just, I don't know. I just don't get how it fits with what they've built over the last um, couple of years. And it, significantly ignores the area where every man United fan has been crying out for help for years, which is in midfield. Yeah. Uh, unless, unless the grand plan by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is to play Ronaldo as a six to which I say, <laughs> please do that. <laughs> Let us see that really <laughs> release that. Like I want, I want that. Drop that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, 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 uh, it's really difficult to to argue with anything you've said there. I don't understand it either, especially from the perspective of Greenwood 
uh, and and Rashford. Um, Greenwood's a superb finisher. I mean, yeah, <laughs> maybe one of the best in the league, honestly, even at his age, just pure finishing technique and, sure. and efficiency. Um, two footed I mean, as well. Two footed as well. Yeah, very two footed. Um, and, and you know, we know what Rashford's all about. And, um, yeah, I mean, even I think Anthony, Nor- Anthony Marshall is still on the books, too. So, I mean, yeah. he's kind of cut a, you know, a forlorn figure a bit at, at United in recent years. But I still think he maybe has something to offer, too. So, yeah. And, and like you said, coming from the wing to, to being purely a number nine, that's going to displace Cavani, who I think actually combines really well, has always combined really well with his teammates every, everywhere he's played. So that'll be a shame to see even Cavani. Um, you know, see the bench because that's really all where Ronaldo can play now. He doesn't run like he used to. He doesn't really dribble anymore. Yeah. Um, he's an aerial threat and a, a focal point, but um, not the kind of focal point though that will contribute in other areas of you know other phases of play like uh, Lukaku or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't understand it from a sporting perspective, and and I have to say, I know this will. This might be a hot take, but I think his transfer to Juventus is, was a failure. Yeah, They brought him in to win the UEFA Champions League. They did not do that. Um, they didn't even win the league every year he was there. I mean, right. Inter, you know, broke up that, that hegemony over Serie A. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the UCL is really the, the thing that they bought him for in two round of 16 exits and a quarterfinal exit to the likes of, what was it? Porto, Lyon, like these are not even the champions of their countries. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, I know people could probably respond to that and say, oh, he scored 80 something goals. Like he was Capo Cagnonetti. Like, yeah, all those individual, uh, all those individual feats are, are great and everything. And I, again, I think he'll guarantee goals for United as well. I, I don't think anyone doubts that. It's just like, as, uh, as a team, what right. what will he contribute? I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a big risk. I th- but I mean to be fair, I think if anyone can afford to make these kind of mistakes, it's clubs like Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea. You know, yeah. people who are kind of clubs who are kind of insulated from their financial mismanagement in a lot of ways. But I almost feel like this may be a marketing move from the Glazers, who you know they're the same people that signed Tom Brady. Maybe they're thinking, maybe they're thinking he can have a pretty effect and bring some trophies to to Old Trafford, but I I doubt it honestly. It's it is a it is a commercial move I think in a lot of ways because at the end of the day, like the the thing that is the added um, aspect of this that isn't really present in a lot of other football clubs is Manchester United are a publicly traded company and. When they signed Ronaldo, their stock price shot up big time. So I think it was almost more of that than it was like it had more to do with the stock price than it had to do anything with football, obviously. But I think the I think the crazy thing is that in doing this, like this is not an insignificant personality to add to a dressing room with a manager who still has not like he's obviously brought United into a more prosperous moment Mm. where they're not like, they're not just pure meme anymore, but he hasn't, 
by you know by any like big stretch of the imagination, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hasn't proven himself to be like masterful or anything like that. He hasn't won any silverware or significant silverware, I guess. Yeah. He still has a lot to prove and you've added now the biggest ego in the sport bar none into that, into that locker room and said, Hey, Ollie make it work. And like, this is not a guy who is going to Gareth Bale at Tottenham his way, like through some autograph sessions and, (laughs) or whatever, like he's going to want to be the guy. Like he's always been the man. He's going to want to be the man again. And I'm just interested to see what impact that has on this team because (laughs) I'm personally just, I'm sitting just praying for the moment when him and Bruno Fernandes fight over a penalty kick because it's going to be funny. They don't, and you know what's funny is they don't combine very well for Portugal either. So, I mean, we haven't even talked about how he might combine with people in midfield. I mean, that that shifts the whole team around. So, I don't know. I don't want to get too down on Manchester United, you know, but... I don't know. I'm trying to see the bright sides. Maybe he is a good mentor to these younger players. I don't know. I, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if we ha- saw any evidence of that at Juventus, really. Um, right. So <laughs> I think it's a big risk. I'm sure the United fans are over the moon, and I understand that. I yeah. do. Because um, of everything he did for the club the first time around. But sure. I just think at this stage of his career and at this stage of United's development under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's a huge risk. The... Yeah, I think the hope if if I'm a United fan at this moment, which obviously I'm not, but if I were, I would say my hope by now in 2021 would be that we had evolved past the need for like for like 33 year old Ronaldo. (laughs) Like that's that's where I'm I'm thinking I should be looking at my team and say, yeah, there's not a, there's not a spot for him. Like our squad is too good for that. Um, you know what? He's 36 to push 37. Oh wait, 37. Who's 33? Someone's maybe Messi's 33. I don't know. I think so. But yeah, no point taken nonetheless. Whoops. <laughs> 36. Yeah. My Messi's bad. 34. <laughs> okay. Um, so to close out the Ronaldo chat uh, at post Falvis asked is being a Ronaldo fan analogous to being a hype beast? <laughs> I mean, I think the Venn diagram of people who have the sneakers app and people who stand Ronaldo unapologetically might be closer to a circle than, <laughs> than we care to admit. And that's like a, I'm obviously joking. Like I'm sure there's people out there who have the sneakers app and don't care about Ronaldo, but I'm willing to bet a lot of them too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, this is, this is perfect because man United needed in this transfer market. They needed a good pair of work boots and there are players on the market who are going to go and join other teams that would, that are a perfect fit. They're the right size. They're the right shape. They're exactly the work boot, work boot you need. And they are not that expensive. Like they're expensive because they're nice, but they're not that expensive. 
And United went out and got a $2,000 pair of Balenciaga slides. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is deadline day tomorrow. They could still nick Ruben Neves off, off Wolves, which even I don't think that's like the perfect defensive midfielder for them, but it's no. something. So. I think... <laughs> That's a whole other discussion of how good United think their midfield is to not need like a true six yeah. um, because <laughs> Liverpool have played this game for a long time before they went and got Fabinho and <laughs> it took having a true six to see the light, I think. But yeah, um, well, that's that's uh, that's about as much as I as much as I have for United today. I can't I need to like take a breather before I talk about United again. Um, <laughs> no. so, so talking about the window in general and, and obviously it closes tomorrow, there's going to be a lot that happens at least in the, in the Twitter sphere, like in the, the rumors are going to be flying around move moves that may or may not be happening. But up until this point, the night before the transfer window slammed shut as it were, um, who for your money has had the best transfer window? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think on paper we have to acknowledge PSG because they managed to get so much talent through the door without paying much in the way of transfer fees, really, except for Hakimi. Yeah. But, I mean, Donnarumma, Messi, Ramos all on freeze, that's that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I got to throw PSG in there. Manchester United, too, I know we just said that we would close out on them, but I think actually they've done really good business as well. Varane, Sancho... I mean, those are obviously signings that, it, that you know, go right into the starting 11 and improve them immediately. So hard to argue with that. But I'll, my low-key best transfer window is Sevilla, Munchy Sevilla. I was, I was going to say. Twins? Yeah. Do we pick the same? <laughs> okay, cool. Because we did not reveal it to each other. So, no. But, yeah, no. Sevilla, I think, have had an excellent window. I think Munchy's in his element. Yep. I mean, he's one of the few sporting directors in world football that everyone knows by name. So I think that says a lot, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, they've reinvested the Brian Hill money pretty well. They've gone with, uh, Eric Lamella, who's already banging more goals for Sevilla than he ever really did for Spurs in, yeah. in the same amount of matches. Gonzalo Montiel, who is a Copa America champion with Argentina, superb right back from, from river plate, probably one of the best players coming out of South America. Uh, in this transfer window. Um, and then they've got a lot of, you know, smart, maybe underrated signings. Ludwig Augustinsson for a cut price from, from Verda Bremen after they got relegated. Rafa Mir, who, you know, banged a lot of goals for Huesca. And actually, it's kind of weird. I wonder why Wolves never really gave him a chance. I, I, yeah. I think it's really... And we'll get on to Wolves and their goal He basically goals. went straight back. Like, did he not yeah. join Wolves, like, this summer? Or, like... Well, he. He was on loan from Wolves right. to Huesca, and then he like went back for like one training session and then <laughs> signed so for Sevilla. Bizarre. So very bizarre. I don't know what the plan for him was in Wolverhampton, but that's a foregone conclusion now. Uh, and then they've got Thomas Delaney, too, who, as we know, is a dependable holding midfielder. So yeah. I think Sevilla have done really good business. Um, all without losing anyone super significant yet. I mean, Jules Koundé, he might be deadline day get for Chelsea. I know they've been linked. 
but um yeah they've they've and all these signings are are pretty cheap <laughs> so their net spend looks pretty healthy as well yeah uh, so I, I really like what Sevilla have done no I think I yeah I, I'd agree with you that I think they've I think they've done some just really shrewd business and and going um just the the diversity of moves to like not specifically rating other La Liga teams or anything like that, but finding that value in Germany and in South America and and then elsewhere in Spain. Like, um, yeah, I think it's I I think it's just indicative of like you said, Monchi's just nous. Like this is exactly, and it's the type yeah. of market that I feel like he thrives in, where it's just chaos. Like anybody is kind of available, and. Yeah. There, you know, there's just value to be found um, because teams are teams are sort of struggling right now. But, yeah, I'd agree that I think as far as the amount of moves that they've been able to make and at the prices they've been able to make them, Sevilla is is like the low key, the low key uh, call. But like you said, PSG, it's tough to look past, <laughs> like just the yeah. quality that they've injected into that team, despite them already being a super squad. Um which then brings us to the next question, the opposite end of the spectrum. Who for you has had the worst window? Um, well, when you lose Lionel Andres Messi on a free, <laughs> that's an automatic L. So Barcelona, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but that that I feel like just weighs so heavily on the way their summer has gone. Um, y- even though they've actually strengthened quite a bit, um, which begs the question, how? Right. Uh, since we all know how bad their financial situation is, but you know enough about Barca. Actually, I think <laughs> I think my pick for this, and maybe this is controversial, um, but I think Manchester City did not strengthen as much or as well as I thought they would. I mean, they didn't really yeah. strengthen in the areas where they needed to, namely at at center forward and at left back. Right. Um, they spent a hundred million pounds on. Uh, midfielder slash winger and Jack Grealish, who is very talented and um, adds something to that city, uh, you know, that city squad for sure. But is he really what you needed? And at that price, that's right. pretty, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, again, <laughs> they can, they can afford to do this. So I guess do it. But again, they've, they've needed uh starting left back for quite a while. And now Benjamin Mondi's in, legal trouble as well so it's yeah. just like he's not good enough on the pitch and off the pitch he's fucking up so yeah yikes um yeah they, and i mean they're still scoring like a ton of goals without a center forward but i still think that they could have definitely done with one um and so i just yeah i'm not really too impressed with what city have done um and uh, maybe even liverpool a little bit just because Konate is a good signing yeah um price is right i think it was his release clause right so, yep. um, I think that's a really good signing, strengthening, uh, you know, in center back. And I guess he can play on the right as well. So that's, that's a good signing, but I don't know. I, I, I've seen it said by some Liverpool fans that, well, has, has Klopp really asked for signings? If he hasn't, then, you know, and Klopp we trust. And I definitely get that. But I think what we saw with the, the way it kind of went poorly at Dortmund was because the squad just got kind of tired there wasn't yeah. enough turnover and i just wonder if things get will get stale at liverpool sooner rather than later i would have liked to see maybe another attacking signing um another midfield signing maybe uh mm-hmm. for, for liverpool so i don't know i, I wouldn't say they're the worst but 
just kind of a side eye at them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think I think questions are definitely definitely being asked. I think like it's it's plain to see that there is quality in the squad and I mean for once we do have uh now uh backup left back even though it took him a season. And I think I think that's yeah. more so what's stressing people out and I mean probably rightfully so. Even a signing that is now seen as so fundamental and um, just such a no brainer after the fact, like, like Fabinho Klopp took about six months to integrate him fully into the team and actually get him like any modicum of, of consistent playing time um, because he said he needed to learn the role. And so I think like the lead time in playing in this Klopp system is what is most concerning when, because each window that they don't sign somebody, it means that it's another six months before any new signing actually makes an impact in that team because most of the new signings like aren't integrated right off the bat. So, um, so if they sign a midfielder or they sign a new attacker, we're not going to see meaningful impacts from that player for a long time. So, um, yeah, I just think uh, I think that's the worrying thing for the clop for this clop side is it is like brilliant in a lot of ways, but becoming a part of it is extremely difficult. <laughs> and for a player like fucking Tiago to still look like at times a little like out of sorts, like in in that team is crazy. Um and not be starting like consistently is also crazy. So anyways, like, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of question marks. I think it primarily around not replacing and I say replacing pretty loosely, but, uh, why not them? Um, and, and that presence in midfield and they've gone with an interesting midfield these last couple of games without turning this into like a Liverpool podcast. Um, but they've, um, (laughs) But it'll be when interesting saw, to see how they try to how they try to make up for that if they don't dip their toes in the market on deadline day. Right. And I, I saw something about Michael Edwards moving on. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Wonder if there's any connection between the you know, relative lack of spend and, and his future. Um that's crazy. He yeah. revolutionized this Liverpool side, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the lots man of, lots of all. stuff changing at Anfield, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And so I definitely, I definitely get the, uh, I definitely get how Liverpool could be included in the conversation for sure. Um, I'm assuming you didn't pick Liverpool though. So who did you pick <laughs> who had the worst window? So I, I think, I think the city shout does have quite a bit of credence only because I think this window promised a lot for city and PSG basically showed what was possible. Mm. And despite a lot of these links and I mean, even at the end of the day, like it seemed like Pep was acknowledging the fact that they did try to sign Harry Kane. Um, right. And I didn't even roast them for that. Jesus, yeah. That feels like ages ago. So <laughs> it's just odd, I guess, to have city linked with a player and have them pull out of the deal, like 
for financial reasons. Like that's that <laughs> that's just not a thing for them. That's not a barrier. Um, I think a lot of people saw them as an initial favorite to get messy as well because of the Pep Guardiola connection. So all these links that came through, like whether they were in charge of those or not, like all these links that came through and then they're basically like one signing at the end of the window is Jack Grealish for a shitload of money. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a far cry from like a normal city window in, in that in a lot of ways when they're one of the few teams that probably had the ability to go out and spend the summer, like frivolously, the other being PSG um, because of the, the financial weight behind them. Um, and yet United bringing it, you know, bringing Jaden Sancho <laughs> like, uh, and yeah, I just, I don't know. They've, they've gone out and actually, I guess, gotten, the players it's just i don't know it's a little strange to see city like pull out of a deal and it was just i don't know what kind of message they were trying to send um it seemed like they were particularly upset with daniel levy and trying to send some sort of message to tottenham i guess but um yeah but yeah at the end of the day they do still have some it's crazy to say but some holes in that squad um they're still extremely talented and they could still walk the league as we, as we've said, like they probably are still favorites to win it, but um, they definitely didn't strengthen in the ways that I think many expected. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I criticize the Jack Grealish deal as well, but I will just to be fair, it was his release clause. So I've seen a lot being made of, he's not a hundred million pound player. And it's like, well, his release clause said a hundred million pounds. So right. Um, which, you know, we don't hear too much about release clauses in England, but they are a thing. So. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, good business by Villa to get that in place to For ensure sure. that they got the money. Because <laughs> the For fact sure. that Jack Grealish costs more money than Jaden Sancho is will just always stick with me. Um, <laughs> but crazy. Um, so we had. We'll start, we'll start with the question, with the listener question, and then we can move on to, to our more general question. But um, Jaimito El Crac, uh, Jaime, asked, uh, what was the best signing by a Liga Santander team, and why is it Rodrigo DePaul? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you know, that says a lot coming from Jaime, who is a Madridista, to yeah. say the best signing in La Liga was an Atletico de Madrid player, um, or uh, Atletico de Madrid signing. Yep. I mean, it's hard to argue with Rodrigo de Paul being one of the best signings of the window. Um, he, he, I think he fits Atleti like a glove. I mean, he's a warrior. We saw that another Copa America champion, a big part of the, the Argentina squad. And the reason why they want it is, you know, just his relentless work in midfield. And he adds a lot of creativity, a lot of just attacking prowess to that Atleti midfield, which, you know, we know Atleti can be a little, Pedestrian at times, although I think it is changing. I think I think they are changing into a little bit more of a dynamic attacking team. Um, but yeah, he's he's a superb player, and uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do. He's already done some crazy stuff uh, with Atleti already. Just a lot of like really good balls, um, you know, into the forwards and stuff. And so he's he's already started life really well. Um, and yeah, I think he's just perfect for Los Colchoneros. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, the we, we want to talk about our favorite chance for the window. He's certainly one of mine, but I kind of have a couple others that, that I was thinking of. Yeah. I mean, one of them, another attacker, I think Tammy ran to AS Roma is really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, much to the chagrin of Arsenal, because apparently we were linked and we wanted him and I would have welcomed him uh, with open arms as an Arsenal fan. But I love to see English players go abroad. I think it's great for football generally. I think it's good for for the English game, honestly, yeah. uh, and for um, just the development of, of England as a footballing nation, the further development. I mean, obviously, they're very developed as a footballing <laughs> nation, but like, I just think it's interesting to see players get out of their comfort zone. Um, right. And we know English players like to stay in their domestic leagues more often than not. So I thought it was really brave of Tammy to, to go to Jose Mourinho's AS Roma side. And he's... I mean, he looks like low-key, like Ronaldo Nazario out there. <laughs> like just <laughs> the the frame and and the technical quality. He's he's he started really well. A couple of assists for Roma already, and he just looks comfortable. Yeah. Um, and and this Roma side are playing like really good stuff. I mean, I mean, I know it's early, but uh, maybe maybe finally Jose Mourinho's got a new lease on life <laughs> back in Italy. <laughs> but he's he's one of my favorites. Um, maybe runner up is Ton Cup Miners to Atalanta uh, mm-hmm. for like 10 million pounds something. I think it's a move that shows that Atalanta are an attractive destination because maybe this player would have gone to a quote bigger club in the past. Um, he's a really good rangey midfielder um, from AZ Alkmaar in, mm. in the Netherlands and Atalanta. I mean, we know what kind of football they play, and so I'm expecting good things from him. I think that's another low-key signing. So I guess I just picked two Serie A signings, actually. I didn't even realize that. But, yeah, all of those are really good signings. I'm yeah. curious, though, what your favorite is. So I think I think my favorite is the one that I find the most intriguing. Um, and this is a weird one. And he actually he actually scored for his new club this past weekend in a, in a big match. Um, Thought it was the winner probably at the time, but Arno Danjuma joining oh, Villarreal, Villarreal from Bournemouth Danjuma in the championship. Danjuma. Like, very interesting that they went out and got this player because Danjuma made a name for himself, scored a bunch of goals for Bournemouth in the championship. And I think, you know, it's the pipeline from the championship to the premier league is quite obvious, but it's not frequent that you see a player join the top, like the top tier of another nation from the second tier of, of, you know, of a separate one. Um, so the fact that he's gone from the championship to La Liga is just such a, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting, like punt by Villarreal. And, um, already getting some return on investment because um, he, he came off the bench against Atleti and, and scored their second. Um, so yeah, just uh, I, I, f- I find that move really um, just really intriguing because it, it just caught my eye as like, why are Villarreal doing business on, on the South coast of England? But you know, <laughs> um, yeah, it, the yellow submarine popped up in the English channel, I guess. So anyways, <laughs> that, yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe when I am sized him up when he was with Arsenal, but yeah, that's a really good shout. Um, and he's a really interesting player. Um, just adds 
even more to that Villarreal attack. They have a lot of y- interesting young players there. Of course, they've got Gerard Moreno, who, you know, not a young player anymore, but has become their all-time leading goal scorer. Jeremy Pino, Fernino, all these all these young guns that are yeah. going to be really interesting. Uh, Chukweze. And, yeah, now they've got Danju Kronoveld, who is Nigerian-born but represents the Netherlands. So I think he's already had a couple call-ups uh, for the Oranya. So, yeah, he's a he's a really good shout. Fair play. And, I mean, the other that was, I guess, not <laughs> I'll pick two La Liga signings if you pick two Syria, Syria <laughs> signings. Um, but it was a little bit higher profile, obviously, because he joined Atleti, Atletico. Uh, but Mateus Cunha um, joining mm. from Hertha Berlin. Um, I thought at probably a cut rate from what he'd normally go for. Um in in a normal transfer window um and i'm sure if he had stayed in germany he may have cost like if if bayern had been in for him they they'd have paid you know upwards of like 50 million or something like that just as a a tax um but yeah him going to atleti for 33 million i think it's a really interesting signing and like a huge jump in terms of attention on Cunha because I think he's a brilliant player, but I think he's obviously be you know playing for Hertha and playing for Atleti. It's two different levels of expectation, so it'll be really interesting to see how he deals with it. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good shout too. I think he's yet another person who will add more attacking uh, flair to this Atleti side. He's kind of a I wouldn't say he's a now now number nine. He's a, he's a bit more creative than that. Maybe I mean honestly, maybe a lot like a Firmino. He likes to dribble and 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 create and pass, uh, and then score the the you know goals here and there. So I think he's a really interesting one. Maybe maybe the closest thing that Atleti have had to like Antoine Griezmann since Antoine Griezmann. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I back him to to do really well. You know, and he came in for like twenty three million pounds or something like that. But I mean, on the flip side, I just you you tweeted about it today, I think, and it's kind of just like, what are Hertha Berlin doing? Like, are they blowing it up before <laughs> it ever began? Because they've let Cunha go, they've let John Cordoba go, um, Sammy Kadira got released. I, I don't really... Dodi Lukabakio joined. <laughs> <laughs> left for Wolfsburg, who yeah. are top of the Bundesliga right now. On so. loan. On right. Lo- like... To I, I, an in league rival, like it's just so bizarre. I don't understand what Hertha are doing. Yeah, they brought in Suat Serdar and Kevin Prince Boateng and, and Jovatic, like two yeah. forwards who are uh, like, well into their thirties. Yeah, I don't want to say finished, but like, <laughs> yeah, I just don't get it. And Suat Serdar is, you know, a promising midfielder, but does he? You know, I think he was just kind of bought because they couldn't secure Matteo Gendouzi on a permanent basis, but right. Uh, yeah, that's who's, a weird one. <laughs> who's now thriving out in out on the south coast of France? <laughs> right, right. Um, so deadline days tomorrow, Mika. Anything can happen, obviously, and there's been a lot of rumors flying around. But do we see any deadline day moves? And is there anything that you're keeping a particular eye on for tomorrow? I mean. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I'm keeping an eye on what whatever embarrassing thing we do next. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping that there will be a lot of outgoings for for the Gunners. 
Um, Maitland Owls just like completely aired the club on Instagram today. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. He added them. Uh, <laughs> he added them. Like the if official. you had if if you hadn't seen this, he just said he wants to go somewhere where he's uh, wanted and where he can play and added Arsenal. So. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping he moves on uh, for his sake and for the clubs. Yep. Um, Hector Bellerin looks like he might be joining Real Betis. Um, Eddie Nketiah is getting some interest from Crystal Palace. So hopefully we'll do some deadline day outgoings. If we have any more ingoings, I'd be shocked. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, uh, as far as like anyone outside of that, uh, I don't know. I was hearing something about Curtis Jones to Villa. Maybe you could tell me more about that. Yeah, there were some rumors that popped up um, a couple of days ago, but the price, the price didn't um, strike me as as valid. Especially so, Michael Edwards maybe is reportedly stepping down at the end of the season from his sporting director role. But while he's still in the chair, I back him to get full value. This man got nineteen million pounds for Dominic Solanke. Um, so <laughs> v- Villa, the price that was quoted in the rumors was 15 million pounds for Curtis Jones. I, I, I don't think that holds weight. Um, I think that's extremely cheap for the value that he's demonstrated. Um, and I don't think, I don't think Liverpool would be looking to sell him anyways. Um, mm. cause I think, I mean, given how well he played at times last season, like I would see him as a part of Klopp's plans this year, especially if they don't add anyone in midfield. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really think that that rumor holds. I think if Villa came in with something significant, um, you know, I could see maybe Liverpool's heads get turned by if we're taught, but I think they'd have to probably just for how old he is, and the promise he's shown, like he's going to command quite a bit of money, I think. We'll see. I mean, there's still a lot in the hopper. I mean, it's looking like Emerson Royal is going to Spurs. Jules Kounde, maybe he's a deadline day acquisition. Probably the if he goes through, he might be the biggest money right. signing on deadline day for anyone across Europe. Because um, I don't. I, I mean, it looks like Kylian Mbappe is staying put at least until January. Do you think that goes through on deadline day? I'd be I'd be shocked personally. No, I think. Um, so Real Madrid reportedly tabled a bid for two hundred million euros, and PSG didn't even they left them on red. <laughs> like, imagine having the facilities to leave someone on red for that amount of money, though. Like, so that's so obviously this opens the door for the for Mikey Edwards to table the 250 million. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, yeah, I think Mbappe stays put. Um, it was really interesting. Obviously we'll talk about the PSG match, but, um, his, his body language and some of his, I think he's warm to the idea of sticking around, um, at least for this season. Um, Mm. But yeah, as far as, as far as deadline day, I mean, for Liverpool, it's looking like the only even whispers that I've heard in terms of any incomings is they may be looking at getting Mikel Domsgaard from, um, Sampdoria. Um, had a really good euros. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's not a 
typical signing um, in that I don't think he's tech, like he's almost more of a Coutinho replacement. Like if that makes sense, like <laughs> maybe a couple years late on the Coutinho replacement, but I don't think he fits the profile of a lot of like the attackers that we employ. Um, but he is an extremely talented player and I'm not, you know, I'm not averse to, to grabbing hold of someone and, and maybe he gets into, maybe he plays like that most advanced midfield role or something like that um, in the three. So could be something there, but other than that, it looks like a lot of the, it looks like a lot of the deadline day deals are going to end up. Wolves may grab hold of Renato Sanchez, which I don't understand if that goes through, not because wolves are are a bad landing spot for a Portuguese player, but (laughs) what, I don't know what that does for Lille unless there's an obligation to buy, but yeah. <laughs> and uh and then Daniel James having finally almost joined Leeds on that documentary a couple of years ago looks like he's finally getting his move but it could also be a deadline day move which famously fell through in that documentary when he tried to move from Swansea to to Leeds. True. I mean I would I think this one will go through hopefully and I think actually even still now he's I've always felt like he will do really well for a Bielsa side just yeah. because he's got so much energy, so much pace, so much stamina. Um, he's had a little bit more to his game, but I think Bielsa could, could do that for him too. So, Well, we'll obviously you guys can follow us on Twitter at HXC football. I'm sure we'll have plenty of takes tomorrow as some of these things unfold. Um, and we'll be keeping an eye out for any uh, airy red nap uh, window car window interviews um on on sky uh as as deadline day uh comes to a close but uh we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back uh to talk premier league and la liga uh and league and when we're uh when we come back so stay tuned welcome back everybody mika onto the premier league and Really, the question that's that's swirling around, and it, this always happens early in the season, is like, what have we actually learned about these teams after these early games? And I think you had the right instinct of starting with the match that actually it kind of closed out the weekend, Manchester United versus Wolves, a match characterized by Wolves actually dominating most of the proceedings. And a very clinical Mason Greenwood uh, finish on the end of a contentious uh, decision uh, on the edge of the area, or I guess lack of decision on the edge of the area by Mike Dean um, leads to United walking away with the points, despite the performance really supporting that Wolves should have come away with something and maybe is a bit of a theme emerging for Wolves here already early in the season. Yeah, if, if if I'm a Wolves fan, I'd be pretty frustrated. I mean, frustrated with the result, but maybe encouraged overall with the way that Wolves have started under Bruno Lage because there were question marks about, you know, how do they follow up what Nuno has has managed to do with, with Wolverhampton Wanderers. And in the first three games of this season, I think Wolves have been the better side despite losing all three of their games and, and, and not scoring a goal yet. Um, in this one in particular against Manchester United, 
you know, as you said, they, they pretty much dominated in the attacking aspect. 2.25 expected goals versus Manchester United's 0.58. I mean, that's... You should be winning that match, right? Um, 15 shots, 10 chances created. Uh, you know, again, dwarfing United's numbers in that aspect. And, and I mean, it's Mason Greenwood who... He finishes from an absurd angle, as he usually does. Um, and, and it's enough to get Manchester United the points. But... Um, Again, I think Wolverhampton we'll Wanderers. I mean, we saw it in preseason. Um, Bruno Lage, obviously, he plays a, quite a different style from Nuno. A lot more attacking, a lot more fluid. Um, Ruben Neves looks unleashed in this side now, um, as do a lot of other players. So I think it'll just be a matter of time before Wolverhampton we'll Wanderers start, you know, putting it in the back of the net. I, I'm concerned a little bit about Raúl Jiménez and and if if and how he comes back from you know that significant horrific head injury yeah i don't know if he'll be the same and and if he's not maybe maybe wolves need to invest in a striker because as we've seen from the xg philosophy they might become this season's brighton um, <laughs> where you know they're out playing and out chance creating their opponents but not getting it in the back of the net so um yeah if i'm a wolves fan it's, it's a frustrating result but i think the start despite what we see on paper is actually quite good yeah, it, it's funny. The Brighton comparison it hits like kind of cosmic levels um, because casting our minds back to the beginning of last season, Brighton had an, a performance early on, maybe match week two or three against United, where it looked like they were actually going to come away with a point, And it was the penalty that was called by VAR after the final whistle had blown, um, which actually gave United a win. And right. Brighton, despite all the goodwill and despite all those performances, still ended up, you know, a, not not a close shave, but a closer shave than anyone would have thought, I think, from, from potentially being relegated. Um, so... Certainly Wolves fans have have reason to be optimistic based on the performances um, so far, but they will want them to turn into points uh, sooner than later. And uh, I guess the question then is this Wolf side was able to assert themselves um, over United and United being on the road, a little bit of a new look to this team. Jaden Sancho gets to start for the first time. Um you know, Greenwood starts up top, Daniel James, who's now on his way out. It looks like it got the start in this one. So what do you think about this for United? Because obviously really bullish off of that, that, you know, drubbing, um, that they gave to, uh, yeah, Leeds. And then who, yeah. And then they, and they drew Southampton. Oh, they drew Southampton. Yeah. So yeah. like that opening, that opening week, they they destroy Leeds. They come back, and now they draw Southampton. They uh, have a little bit of a flat performance against Wolves and probably deserve, didn't really deserve a win. Some would argue that they maybe didn't deserve the draw. Um, and <laughs> many would argue that Pogba does foul in the buildup uh, to, to the goal. Um, Right. But what maybe does, should not have been on the pitch because he put in a really yeah likes tackle on who I cannot remember. Neves. Neves, yeah. And yeah. Um yeah, so with all that being said, for this United side, like 
are are we calling now into question? Like, cause obviously a lot of United fans were very bullish after that Leeds performance. Now it's been kind of tempered by two kind of off performances. What do we think about this United side? I mean, uh, you know, they run with the four, two, three, one in this one. And I think whenever Ole decides to play this way, the, the pivot is always going to look imbalanced because you have to get Pogba into that side. And, I don't like him in a midfield two. I think he's best in a midfield three, probably on the left of that. Sure. But if you're going to play him in a two, then put him next to a real six, which <laughs> they don't have. Um, and So you know, not Fred yet. then. So, I mean, yeah, so not Fred <laughs> then. I think Fred, you know, for all the memes, I think he has his his uses. Um, but in a pivot next to Pogba is probably not one of them in the Premier League anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that's where the, the issues kind of start, uh, from there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, it's two, maybe a little bit questionable performances, but I think they're still trying to obviously integrate Jaden Sancho, integrate Rafael Varane, who gets an assist in this game. So fair play to him, um, and, and find that balance with, with Pogba, um, you know, and whoever his partner is going to be. Um, but I mean, Ole's got all the tools they're, they've invested, significantly um, maybe not in transfer fees but certainly in wages and now they've got Cristiano Ronaldo to contend with so I mean they should be fine but we'll we'll see yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together um, the yeah I think I think this this uh, this type of performance it's obviously it's you know it could it could be looked at one of two ways where it's like oh you know champions win games where they don't play that well um sure. but i think they relied quite heavily on their goalkeeper in this one and um in the end kind of rode their luck because i think you know they're is a real possibility that most uh, more often than not that goal gets chalked off for the foul in the buildup. Um, right. And it's, it's kind of surprising that it, that it wasn't. Um, so, you know, we could be talking about two draws on the bounce and, and all that, but, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it comes together. I think obviously still, still quite early, but, um, but moving to the other Manchester team and by extension, your beloved Arsenal, um, beaten five nil, uh, down to 10, a lot of, lot of different things going on in this one, but the game, it was already two nil at the time of the sending off. And, um, and then under the cosh from there. So, I mean, is this a case of, of city, flying or is this is this just that bad of an arsenal performance (laughs) it's definitely both um city deserved all their goals um some of the defending by arsenal was absolutely comical the first goal is the first or the second one i don't know but callum chambers gets beat in the air by someone much shorter than him which should never happen um and then the second goal i mean after the second goal was kind of just like a a training simulation for city um yeah and and it's i think it's apt to talk about this match after having talked about wolves manchester united because i think while wolves 
have not scored any goals and have not won any games in much the same way that Arsenal have not scored any goals and not won any games. I think the trajectories are so obviously different that a Wolves fan might be feeling a lot better about their team right now than an Arsenal fan is because sure. you can see the progression. You can see that you're playing well despite not getting the results and that the results will come. Yeah. You cannot see that right now with Arsenal Football Club. Um, I think by and large, most Arsenal fans that you ask are probably on board with this idea of a rebuild and, you know, we're, we've wrapped our minds around that. Yeah. But you still have to get results and play well we didn't do that at all i think the first five minutes were okay uh <laughs> and then after that it was a complete capitulation and um yeah and we've been that way in all three of our games so far in the premier league is just not competing right. you know we're, we're participating in the premier league we're not competing and i steal that from our our good friend jessica black who you know she said there are there are competitors in the premier league and there's there's participants and and arsenal are definitely in that latter category right now um and yeah it's just it's a it's a shame for a club as as big and as historic as ours and i i don't know where we go from here um we got norwich next after the after the uh interlull and that's a must win yeah you know match day four is a must win so we'll see (laughs) i like the thing that struck me about this is I was thinking about it and obviously everybody is pointing to the score line and just saying like, how could a club like this allow this and, and all that like mm-hmm. Liverpool in the Klopp era have been on the end of a five nil at the Etihad that's mm-hmm. happened. Like now the nature of the performance and the nature of that five nil was very different. And I think that's where like Arsenal fans are certainly fair in their criticisms of, of this team so far. Um, but I think it could be easy to, to look at a scoreline and say, ah, you know, it happens. And it does like city will like they they have the, the ability in their team to beat anybody five nil on a, on a given day. Like it, right. it can happen. Um, I think the difference and I was thinking about that five. No, it was 2017, I think. And it was the Sadio Mane. Like uh, he was sent off for the high boot on Ederson. Right. It was one nil at the time of the sending off like city were in the lead, but it was a very even game. Liverpool had created chances. City had obviously created chances. It was kind of back and forth. And from there, like, I think, you know, Klopp probably could have made a decision to like sit back and defend and try to, but that what the team wasn't really set up for that. This was a Dejan Lovren era Liverpool. Like um, they, they weren't really meant for that. So, but when I think about this Arsenal performance, like you said, there was some fight in the opening minutes, but as soon as that, that opening goal is scored, it like the, the fight just evaporated like right immediately. And that, I think is the most troubling thing as a, as a neutral observer, like a third party, I, I would be most concerned that there's a lot of investment in the vision and direction of Arteta. But if we like, if they're not able to get even kind of like the basic ideas of like, just the fight and like chasing games and not quitting and all these like kind of very basic fundamental, like 
philosophical ideas. Like if that's not ingrained in this team after the amount of time he's had, then like, what's it going to look like if he does get the pieces, like you can instill like all the tactics and all that stuff that you want. But like, if there's not that intensity and drive around it, then like, what are you actually building? And I think that's more so the concern is like, is all this like Arsenal just spinning their wheels because they don't have the guy, the like the right guy to be at the helm of this project or a project of this magnitude, I guess would be the, the concern. Right. right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, as it's always interesting to hear what third parties who are not like invested in, in Arsenal's results seem to think, because that's exactly right. Um, (laughs) The fight, like you said, the fight just evaporated after. And you know, like I kind of get annoyed sometimes talking about some of these soft factors, but I think with Arsenal, you have to talk about it. I mean, some of the, we can't get to tactics if people don't want to try, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's these foundations of teams of elite teams that, should be givens and they're not. And I I think what's concerning too is when Mikel Arteta came in, he did, if anything, he made us more defensively solid. Right. And that seems gone. I mean, he beat Manchester city in an FA cup semifinal, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's really, really troubling to see how the team is playing because again, we can get on board with a rebuild, but if you're not out there, playing for the shirt as cliche as that sounds, then it's just like, why should we support this? Um, so, and I mean, not, you know, not support the club. Obviously we'll always support, I'll always support the club, but support this regime and whatever it is that they're trying to do. Cause I do think that the the direction's right. I think going for younger players is, is the way to go. Sure. Um, instead of some of these like older expensive signings that are quick fixes that don't actually fix anything. So, yeah. What the club is doing, I agree with, but the in-game stuff, the on-the-pitch stuff is really bad. And, and Mikel Arteta's in-game management, to be fair, has really not impressed me. I mean, even even at halftime, I, I don't know what he says to the players at halftime because nothing ever seems to change. His 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 changes are usually too late. Yeah. When Granit Xhaka was sent off, he just left a gaping hole in midfield. I mean, there was no response to it and i wonder if that just comes with experience that he just does not have Um, yeah so yeah it could be and and maybe he's a little bit stubborn i guess in the ideas and thinking like the system works like or it should work so just give it time type thing but um but yeah this this performance like was just you know Five nils happen, but the way in which it the way in which it happened, it just felt like you know, like you said, Arsenal were you know participants in the Premier League this year, but but they were passengers in this game. Like it felt <laughs> right. like so. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Less than participants. Exactly. Just a very yeah. So it'll be that is I think as crazy as it is, like I think Arsenal have caught the eyes of a lot of the neutrals only because it's like, what's going to happen here? Like how, like how deep is the pit? Basically? (laughs) I think everybody's just interested. Like where's the bottom last place right now, which 
it's been three days. It's been three match days. I mean, like anyone drawing super huge conclusions from this is is mental because there's yeah. a lot of football to be played. But yeah. it's not great. <laughs> this is like a historically bad start. So yeah. Well, yeah. for your sake, I hope I hope they figure something out soon. <laughs> um, otherwise, it's going to be a long emo season of uh, of hardcore football. <laughs> It's just going to be taking you back Sunday songs. And yeah. like, I might even throw some like My Chemical Romance on there. It's going to get real dark. Hawthorne Heights. <laughs> um, heading, heading to the other side of London, Tottenham Hotspur um, against, against Watford uh, came out one nil winners. And this was a case almost, almost a little bit different. Um, in the you know in in the way that the one nils came about, United maybe riding their luck a little bit, finding that good clinical finish at the end. This was this one nil felt a lot more like an efficiency from Tottenham and and an ability to control this match. For sure, yeah, I think you know you know Espirito Santos you know started pretty much as well as he could have with his new club, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you know, three wins, top of the table, uh, no goals conceded, all 1-0 wins. I mean, that's the the peak of efficiency, I guess, including <laughs> that 1-0 win over, over City on opening day. Um, you know, maybe you could argue he caught, you know, they caught City cold or whatever, but still, they've followed that up with two more wins against, against a defensively sound side in Watford who were, you know, really good in that aspect of the game in the championship last season. And of course, Wolves, who we spoke about, who probably played better than, than Spurs on that game. Um, so yep. yeah, I think, and I think Spurs will only get better as they start to reintegrate Harry Kane into the side. Um, and, you know, he starts to to produce in the way that we know he can. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's looking good for Spurs. I, I don't know. I think it's really early to be memeing the top of the table thing right now, but uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with the, the start that they've had. We're living in a world where Tottenham is top three goals in three games and West Ham is second, having scored 10 in three games. <laughs> Spurs and West Ham, the biggest clubs in London, obviously. Still, like, <laughs> but- can't argue with it on form. Can't argue with it on form. So yeah. no, no goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think what will be the test for this Tottenham side is one inevitably Harry Kane is going to spend time out of the team injured because mm. that is who he is. Um, and I think, Hyung Min Son in particular is the most important player for Spurs at the moment. Um, because I don't think, I think the drop off from Son in terms of production is quite steep. Um, and we haven't seen from Bergvine or Lucas Mora. We haven't seen the Lucas Mora of a couple of years ago. And we definitely haven't seen the Bergvine that I think, Tottenham thought they were getting um, in terms of him being clinical in those moments. So obviously it's a great start. 
extremely efficient, but I think Hyung Min Son is like a massive reason behind that because he's just so lethal. Um, and I think they're going to be pretty reliant on him this season to, to be grabbing the goals. One thing I will say though, that that might be a bit of a wild card for Spurs is if Nuno can, you know, get the best out of Deli Ali, as we know, he was frozen out pretty ruthlessly by Jose Mourinho for one reason or another, but, uh, he's still only 25 years old. Um, you know, already scored a goal for the side. Yeah. And um has been playing pretty well and and getting getting 90 minutes, you know, getting good good amounts of time on the pitch. So, um I think he can hopefully contribute as well on the score sheet um for Tottenham Hotspur. And and yeah, we'll see cuz I mean, that's such a waste of talent <laughs> to <laughs> to not get the most out of him. I, I I still don't understand really what Jose was trying to do with that. I guess he was just the one that he picked to to single out. Um, but I think they're still a very good play in there as much as it pains me to say that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, jumping briefly to what was billed as like the marquee match of the weekend um, and, and two teams towards the top or expected to be in and around the top at the end, Liverpool against Chelsea at Anfield, um, a full Anfield at that. And it ends one, one, Game is changed right on the halftime whistle by the Reese James sending off. Um, so it finishes 11 v 10. Um, Kai Havertz grabbed the opener for Chelsea. Salah equalized from the penalty spot and then Liverpool unable to break Chelsea down um, in the second half. Does this match for you tell you anything about either team's title credentials this year? Um or is it a wash because uh, there's the sending off and it kind of changes the complexion? Um, well, I don't know that this match itself changes my mind a whole lot one way or another, because even before the season started, I thought Liverpool and, and Chelsea, well, certainly Chelsea, actually, to be fair, I thought that they'd be fighting for the title and maybe Liverpool, uh, depending on what business they were going to do, um, and Leicester maybe would be fighting for that third or fourth spot. But you know, any one of them are, are capable of also challenging city. So I don't know that it changes my mind a whole lot in that regard. Um, and I don't know that we learned too much either. Cause I think Liverpool were their usual dominant selves at home. Uh, we know they get that, that boost from the Anfield crowd from the cop. Um, the stats will show you that they were <laughs> attacking wise, the better side. But as we know, if, if there's anything that, you know, other than winning the European cup that um, Thomas Tuchel <laughs> has done for this Chelsea side, it's make them extremely hard to beat. Um, and Hey, a draw at Anfield is a fantastic result. Uh, I don't care who you are that you take that, uh, especially having gone down a man and maybe that makes them bunker a little bit more. Uh, but yeah. And it's really interesting because right now they are Chelsea and Liverpool are pretty much identical in terms of, of the table two wins, one draw, scored six, conceded one, seven yeah. points. So, um, yeah, I think these two teams are, are, are really fascinating. I think they'll both be up there in the upper reaches uh, fighting for the title. Certainly going to get Europe, I think. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that it told me a whole, whole lot. Yeah, I, I think the only, the only thing that this game definitely reinforced for me is Van Dyke and Matip as a pairing is top tier 
at, at center back. And I, I know that there's more high profile names out there than Joel Matip, but Romelu Lukaku was absolutely pocketed for 90 minutes. <laughs> and I don't say that lightly because I think very highly of Lukaku and he's coming off of his, probably his best ever season in Italy. And he was bullying. Um, he was bullying folks last week or whatever, like scoring his, his first goal for, che- you know, back for Chelsea against uh, um, Everton. Who was that? Now I can't remember. I'm having a hell of a time tonight. Um, <laughs> Mondays, you're all good. Oh, against Arsenal. Like Lukaku, right. Lukaku bullied, like Literally, bullied folks. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I tried to block it out. No. But that, but that <laughs> did happen, yes, at the Emirates. And then he shushed the clock in or whatever <sighs> that was. So Kill brutal. Me. I hate to bring it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it just reinforced for me, like, the difference that, like, one having that pair back there makes such a difference because I can't imagine Lukaku unleashed on <laughs> Reese Williams and Nat Phillips. Um, but I, I just think one, like Liverpool definitely have, you know, getting them back healthy and them staying healthy is so key to what they do because it did nullify a lot of what Chelsea were trying to do going forward. Um, Obviously, like the set piece, um, Kai Havertz, <laughs> a little bit. I I would say he was a little bit overly praised for his header that scored the goal because I don't think he knows anything about that. I think he's trying to flick it <laughs> on, and it happens to loop into the net. I'm not. I love Kai Havertz as a player. Think he's think he's fantastic. I don't think anybody could do that sort of physics math on the fly. Um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm encouraged by the performance, particularly given the threat of Lukaku. And traditionally, those type of strikers have bullied Liverpool defenses in the past. So to see Matip and and Verge like deal with that so calmly throughout throughout the whole proceeding, and particularly in the first half when it was even um, eleven v eleven, I I just thought that he was extremely quiet for the form that he was coming into that match in. So I was definitely encouraged by that, but the rest of it, like you said, Chelsea, extremely organized team, especially under Thomas Tuchel. And there's not many teams in the premier league that I would actually rather face with 11 players, but Chelsea is one of them. Like I'd rather face them straight up, because with 10, they they were extremely effective as a defensive unit. Everybody knew their role and, and did it extremely well. So um, I think it is a missed opportunity by Liverpool to grab three points, given the fact that they were down to 10. But um, this Chelsea side is extremely, extremely well organized and well drilled um, and extremely difficult to break down in, in that setting. Definitely. Um, closing out premier league stuff, uh, our, our good friend, friend Christian at fly 13091, uh, asked about with the international break coming up, he asked, does, uh, Oh, do the, the premier leagues travel restrictions benefit anyone besides premier league ownership? What's your stance? So 
the Premier League announced that they were basically letting their clubs not release players for like they made the unanimous decision to not release players to red listed countries, which in the UK requires even fully vaccinated individuals to quarantine for 10 days upon their return to the UK. Um, and the Premier League has backed up their clubs to not release players to those countries. So what do you make of this uh, of, of this kind of bold decision, given given some of FIFA's uh, bylaws and stuff? Uh, yeah, I will admit this is kind of a, a blind spot for me. Obviously, I have heard of these restrictions going into place, and I think even La Liga came out and said that they would to do the same. Yeah. Um. So I don't know actually what my, it's certainly I certainly see the logic in it trying to, um, you know, prevent outbreaks among clubs, and in fact they're. You, you could argue that Arsenal had an outbreak and maybe Brentford should not have been played, but um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I understand it. I understand it from a public health perspective. Um, is it maybe a little bit heavy handed? I don't know. It's, it's, I don't have, I don't have all the information that these people do as they make these yeah. decisions. I think at some point without, I don't know how to say this without sounding like callous, but maybe we do need to just try to, do things normally, but take this, the precautions that we've been taking. Cause I, I don't know. That seems really harsh. Um, yeah. but I don't know. I guess my, I would maybe ask you, Phil, like how does that benefit PL ownership? I'm, I guess I'm not making the connection necessarily. I think so. I mean, I think from, from the perspective of the players and, and the staff, I think the, I think that's been, what's been most talked about is just, from purely like a, pl- a player welfare, not, not in the sense of, Oh, I'm worried that they're going to go catch COVID in this red listed country or whatever. Like right. that is possible. But if they take the precautions and their masks and all those things, like the likelihood probably remains low. And if they're staying just in a team hotel and stuff like that, like, you know, there's a lower likelihood, but I think more so the concern and Klopp actually shared this in a, in a interview when he was asked about it, he said like a player goes on international duty returns, has to quarantine for 10 days without being able to like train without being able to do any of that stuff. And then has to like quickly reintegrate into the team. They're going to like lose fitness lose muscle lose like they're not going to be as conditioned and so i think like from a player welfare perspective i do think there is like an element of are we doing right by the players if i'm going like a government a you know a law or a government regulation is going to require them to sit out of training for 10 days but my like i've spent money on this player i've invested in this player I'm going to have a mandate to go out and win points. So like how long am I going to give them to reintegrate back into the squad before they're back out there and maybe not at full fitness and all this stuff. So injuries become more possible and all that stuff. So um, I don't think it benefits the ownership more. So, I mean, it definitely, it definitely doesn't hurt the ownership in that if all 60 premier league players who would have played in red listed countries, sat out for two match weeks. Um, 
there would be very prominent names missing from team sheets for, for a while, (laughs) but I don't know that it would impact like viewership or anything to a significant enough level where it would impact the owners. Um, I do think it would be, I do think it would probably be a bad look, I guess, but you know, there's not a whole lot they can control aside from, I guess the fact that they're just not going to let them go. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense now. It's, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, that's a lot of the South American players that, you know, want to play for Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, all the rest. Yeah. Um, and it's World Cup qualifiers. Like, it's not... It's World Cup qualifiers, yeah. They're not, like... Nations, Nations League or whatever. Nations League. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, um, but... Yeah, it'll be really interesting. And and speaking of La Liga, also t- taking a little bit of a stance here, but La Liga's season is now well underway. And um, with them having played three match days, maybe one of the things that people were keeping the closest eye on at the start of the season is the Messi-less Barcelona um, for the first time in two decades, um, essentially. <laughs> they... Uh, they have coped with it relatively well, though, and have gotten the results despite some shakiness at the back. Um, and Memphis Depay has been central to to their early decent start. Yeah, Memphis has been really, really good in, in the attacking play for Barcelona. Um, I think the... When you know when Messi left, there was a lot of like knee jerk, like oh Barcelona are finished, like they're gonna be <laughs> mid table, this that the third. But I mean, they're still a very strong squad. They still have a lot of resource compared to a lot of the La Liga peers. Um, and I will be the first to admit that when they were first linked to Depay, this was before we knew Messi was leaving. I kind of didn't understand the move because actually I think he and and I, maybe I've said this before on the pod, but I think he and Messi are actually very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously there's levels to this shit, but yeah. <laughs> I, I just think that they offer a lot of similar things, but now that Messi's gone, Depay can really maybe make this team his own. And you get this sense from him and the way that he carries himself and the confidence that he's gained having played at Leon for those seasons after that, that move to United didn't quite work out. You get the sense that he's like arrogant in the best way. Sure. Um, he he's a personality that can maybe pull Barcelona through this admittedly turbulent time post Messi, um, and he's showing that too on the pitch, scoring goals, just superb skills, linking with players. Um, he just he looks like a really really good fit in this Ronald Koeman side. Um, as you mentioned at the back, they're still a little bit su- suspect. I mean, Piquet's getting on a bit. Araujo is is still young. Um. I don't know what the situation is at right back because Emerson Royal looks like he is going to Spurs and Sergio Roberto is not anyone's favorite player, uh, even though he did score the other day against Hitafe, I think. Um, and yeah, there's just people aging around the squad. So we'll see. I mean, I think Barcelona still have a lot of questions to answer, but I mean, the the start has been fine all things considered i think at the camp no the the fans are certainly still in the like bargaining stage i think of grief um, <laughs> they're still chanting messi at, at 10 minutes and things sure. like that but uh you know fc barcelona maybe they are getting back to mexican club um 
and you know they are they are more than a club that you know messy or no messy and who knows i think it's can be it can be an exciting time for barcelona though if you you know if you choose to look at it that way but yeah the pie's been a revelation i uh yeah i i think everybody was just waiting for it to be a disaster and it hasn't been quite yet um still plenty of time left for things to go south. <laughs> That's true. Yes, it's but, only been three match days. Yeah, but uh, but no, they. I mean, you know, good a good result against Sociedad. Um, the the draw against Athletic Club when it looked like the Athletic Club had actually had the match won. Um, and uh, and then a, a good win, like good solid win against Hatafe. Um. It was a lot, it was a little dicey against Atafe at times, sure. which was kind of surprising. But yeah, they do get the result in the end. Yeah, and um, the interesting thing being that their next test as a club at the end of the international break, <laughs> waiting for them at the end of the rainbow is Bayern München. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> really? Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> So welcome back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. So okay. we'll have more to talk about at the end of the international break as far as the Champions League goes. But yeah, so Barcelona will have a sterner test ahead um, to to test their credentials for real. But um, we also we also had the reigning champs this weekend the two, two draw with Villarreal, as I, as I mentioned, when I mentioned the, the Danjuma signing, um, speaking of dicey at Letty, like found a way to turn this into a match when <laughs> there were 23 at Letty shots to two from Villarreal. It just so happened that both of those Villarreal shots found the back of the net. And Atleti were left needing an Aisa Mandi own goal in the 95th minute to get to get a point out of this one. Okay, just answer instinctively. Whose fault is that, Mandi or Rui? I thought I thought it was I thought it was Rui. Okay, because he went for a walk. Ruli said, I, I'm a head out, and I, <laughs> no one has been able to explain to me why that was the case. Yeah, I'm sick for Unai Emery. He has never beaten Diego that I can recall. Um, he thought he was getting one over on him, Wanda, and for some reason, Rui, like, just exits stage left, and Isamandi <laughs> is instinctively heading the ball back. Yeah. For his keeper, and it just goes into the empty net. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what's going on there. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, actually, Atleti will be annoyed with themselves for that this even was a draw. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, it, let me say that again. They, they definitely are happy they rescued it because it looked like it was going to get away from them. But right. the way that they played, they probably should have won more comfortably. Um, or won comfortably. Um, but Villarreal, we know that they're battlers. They are newly crowned Europa League champions. They're riding that wave of confidence. Um, have a lot of good new signings. Bulaidia, Aysamandi from, from Betis, even though he, he scores that own goal. 
uh, and uh, Danjuma, like you mentioned at the top of the show. So I'm expecting some some good things from Villarreal. Maybe not pushing for for Champions League necessarily, but certainly up there, maybe making another Europa League berth. And this is a really good result for them at the end of the day, even though they probably thought they were winning that one. But I don't know who's more disappointed, I guess, or relieved. Um, but yeah, when I am man, he looked so just his, one of his staff was literally like face down on the grass, just yeah. like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it was a wild one. The, <laughs> the aftermath, um, <laughs> the aftermath of this one, like it looked like, so there was a fight. Um, the referee's report said <laughs> that Emery's number two, who Imanol, uh, Idiakez, uh, said he had to be held back. And then Tomas Reñones, Atletico's team delegate with responsibility for institutional relations, punched a Villarreal coach in the mouth. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, Jeez. Emery, <laughs> Emery said post-match, his first words in the post-match press conference were, <laughs> I've spent the last half an hour kicking the walls, booting bottles, and remembering our mothers. <laughs> I'm sure that sounds better in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now we have to analyze things coldly. <laughs> so, Jeez. so yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, wild one. And then, yeah. And then Simeone, in his post-match presser, did what Simeone knows how to do, which is shithouse. And he said, lots of times we've won the way that Villarreal could have won. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Oh, he just doesn't know how to turn it off. Like, he he only knows one speed, and it's pure violence. That's the ultimate, like, alpha versus beta male, isn't it? Like, Diego versus Unai. <laughs> like, no disrespect, but, yeah. Um, so, the one, other, the one other piece of news that came out of Spain um, was the, the departure of Canyon Lee, um, a, a Valencia mainstay who joined the club um, when he was 10 years old, he's been hyped as a wonder kid at that club for a long, long time. It was announced kind of without any real pomp or circumstance that he was being released on a free. Um, and so our, our resident Mercy Alago, <laughs> Jay Kanecki asked, is Marcos D'Souza really worth letting Kang and Lee go on a free? I'm going to be honest, Jake. I don't even know who the hell Marcos D'Souza is. Um, <laughs> I don't know her. Uh, but I'm sorry I, to I'm this s- man. I'm sorry to this man. But uh, either way, I'm still confident answering the question, which is no, he's not worth letting King and Lee go. This is a player who has been at Valencia since he was 10 years old. You know, one of the finest academy grads for, for Los Che uprooted his life in South Korea to join the club and and was supposed to be a star for them. And it's Valencia are just 
a shambles. I don't understand at all. I, I guess the, the issue here was he was on the transfer list and no one was biting. And so they're like, okay, we'll just cancel your contract and let you go. Like they were really adamant <laughs> on him leaving. And yeah. I don't really know why that is. Um, and you know, the two, the two prospects, I guess that are, that are big, big stars will be big stars or already are Ferran Torres and, and Kenyon Lee now both have gone for way less than they should have done. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a real shame because Valencia are one of the biggest clubs in Spain, and for them to keep doing things like this has just really got to be so frustrating and disappointing and disheartening for the for the Murcielagos fans. And um, yeah, but he goes to Mallorca where he'll link up with Takifusa Kubo. So yeah. I mean, two of Asia's biggest talents in the same team is really a lot of fun. Mallorca are a fun team to watch. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see what, what Lee Kenyon can do there. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a shame for Valencia. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Marcus Andre, uh, a Brazilian center forward, AKA Marcus D'Souza, Marcos D'Souza, um, was at Valladolid last year and scored four goals and had two assists in 23 appearances. So not like setting the world. So I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't get that. Um, yeah, goes to Mallorca and and the uh, so it, the salt is in the wound because Valencia fans haven't seen the last of <laughs> of Lee uh, as, as they'll have to face him. <laughs> twice this season so right yeah um just more more salt in the wound but the story's not all bad for valencia given the fact that the league table in la liga um is is quite kind to them after three after three match days um madrid uh well really a lot of teams are level on seven points Real Madrid, Sevilla, Valencia, Barcelona, Atleti, Mallorca, all level on seven. Um, and uh, so the, and for the newly promoted sides, Mallorca and Rayo Vallecano are both uh, like comfortable after the first few match days. Um, and I mean, Rayo's uh, been really interesting because they were like, Molly whopped by Sevilla uh, <laughs> to start the season, lost to Sociedad, and then they completely took Granada apart in Vallecas. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah. Shout interesting, out Yuma. Yeah, shout out to Yuma. <laughs> um, so yeah, not not a ton to piece together from the table so far, but you know the teams that you'd expect to be up at the top are there with a little bit of an addition of Valencia and Mallorca um hanging out in that uh in that top 6 um and uh and Sociedad hovering just outside Sociedad adding uh another Scandinavian attacker to the mix with Alexander Sorlot joining from from RB Leipzig um in this right. window. So him and Isak might, uh, <laughs> might be teaming up from here on out. Um, 
but as we as we depart La Liga, he. Uh, I wonder why he it. never stuck. I wonder why he never stuck at Crystal Palace. An interesting one because he did quite well at Trabs and Spore, but I don't know. He's just been on loan forever. Mm-hmm. But hey, I hope he does well at at La Real. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we depart La Liga and head for Liga Un, much like Lionel Messi. Um, and <laughs> as as this match built up, it had that feel of like, and I don't know if you felt this, like I probably wouldn't go out of my way to watch PSG Rouse like on a normal on a normal day. Mm. But I had this feeling of like Messi's debut for a new club is something that's like potentially momentous and like I have to set aside time for this. Right. It like the pull of this man is <laughs> is crazy. Yeah, as uh as could be told from the Stadelheim players who were taking pictures with him at full time. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, he came off the bench for Neymar. Um, which is interesting because Neymar does not like to get subbed. Um, but, uh, I thought it was, I think, I thought it was fine. I mean, he, he looked lively. He was getting fouled a lot. Yeah. Um, made some really good passes, was trying to give and go with a couple of people. I think, you know, this is the first time he's having to adjust to a new environment in two decades. So I think we'd be, uh, I think we're, supposed to wait a little bit for yeah. him to, to gel with the rest of the Paris Saint-Germain players. But I mean, he'll, he'll tear it up as soon as he's, he's fully fit and, and firing. Cause even just the ordinary stuff he was doing looked messy like, right. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, picture taking with him and fighting <laughs> over his shirt all season long. I hope yeah. it doesn't become like, farcical right um but i can understand you know his opponents probably never thought that he he you know rock up in french football right um so yeah really interesting one and and you know to mention the result they did beat that time so yeah i just mbappe double (laughs) yeah yeah and it was kind of crazy because it almost flew in the face of the narrative which was mbappe looking for the exit and all these things like scores a couple of goals and looks happy doing it much to the chagrin of uh Spanish football pundits but uh <laughs> like uh El Chiringuito was like how dare you have a good game on the eve of your move to Real Madrid <laughs> <laughs> said do you know how many Real Madrid fans were watching you like <laughs> it's like how is that a real take <laughs> uh, um what I but what I the PSG other PSG of Claremont foot next though so stern watch test. out stern test yeah so like I they will could say, get bodied I will say Claremont so Claremont are flying uh, for those who don't know like un unironically they are in the top three um, <laughs> and up with Angers right it's like PSG yeah, Angers, Angers and Claremont like Angers, yeah yep <laughs> so like. This um the the takes that I really enjoyed on Twitter after this PSG match, and I don't say this to be smug, I mean partially, but 
like some of the takes that came out of this this PSG match against Ron, like they <laughs> there were people who were like, for all the talk of this farmers league, like Sadaron like really put up a fight and like really consider yo gave PSG like as good as they got sort of thing. And I'm like, that like that has always been the case. Like it's this is not like five nils week in and week out. PSG did not win the league last season. Like, <laughs> right. Like, are you like, I don't understand. They're like, Oh wow. Like, you know, it's, it's as good a fight as any, uh, lower half premier league team would have given to the top six. And I'm like, yes. Like grandma are a legendary club. <laughs> and they're uh, also, I, I mean, like, these leagues are not different, like are not that different. Like the premier league is not, is not so like blessed with talent that, you know, their, their top 20 are better than any other like country's top 20 clubs. Like a lot of these clubs would give anybody like a fight on their day. Um, and in particular, like we know that a lot of, you know, a lot of talent comes out of, of France and like, it doesn't happen spontaneously. Like these are good teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, Reymar, they have made two European finals. Granted, they were in the 50s, sure. <laughs> but still, they have finished runners-up in the European Cup. They've contributed so much to French football just with the players that they've contributed to the French national team. Like, they're not a joke. They are uh, they were formed in 1931. I mean, they're nearly a century-old club. So, yeah, there's there's just a lot of, like, Huh, what's this? Like, this is quaint. And it's like, no, this is a serious <laughs> leak. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I'm glad that Messi is putting more eyes on league on, but, uh, yeah, let's try to be a little more discerning, shall we? Let's yeah. open up the Googles. <laughs> let's open up the Wikipedias. Let's do some research. Um, and, and I, that sounds smug as hell too. I don't know yeah. everything there is to know about <laughs> French football, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not, and I'm not trying there's to just a lot. People were really acting like I'm more like this provincial team. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like this is a, this is a solid squad. Like this is not, yeah, I don't know. It was just really weird to see those like levels of takes. And I, I think like the <laughs> next time that I think the next time that I just watch like any sort of any sort of like top six premier league team take on like a potential like relegation candidate or like a lower half team. I'm just going to be super condescending (laughs) in the way that I like, Oh, (laughs) they play football in, uh, (laughs) out in (laughs) Norwich. (laughs) Never heard of the place. Um, just like that level of, of being like, (laughs) I can't believe they've even heard of football. Like that's just, I don't know. Anyways. Um, I, uh, Ligon delivered like another solid match week again for the fourth week running. Um, just like a good selection of games and very good viewing, especially on hand for Marseille who continue to provide some extremely solid performances and, and soft on Etienne with a three, one win your boy 
Matteo Ganduzzi off the mark for for uh, Leo, Leo Olympique. Yeah, yeah, he's been very good. Um, he was actually the player of the match, um, and you know gets his goal. He's not really a goal scorer; doesn't really add that from from midfield. But hey, he's he seems like he's thriving in Marseille, both on on the pitch and with the shithouseries. So, <laughs> uh, Marseille have had a whirlwind opening couple games to this league all season but you know Jorge Sampaoli has been playing really good stuff um and all the new signings um look really good so fair play to them Marseille another huge club they've actually won the European Cup so um will be nice to see them back in the Champions League where I think they belong yeah yeah and and it is good to see them playing exciting stuff and I think the other player that that I want to focus on for Marseille, we talked about Conrad um, De La Fuente mm-hmm. and and what he's added and and his quality and him getting unleashed in this Marseille side. But the other player who has bounced around a little bit and not really found his home is Chengi Zunder, who scores in this game and he looks absolutely settled in in this Sampaoli uh, uh, Marseille side. He finally looks like he's found his place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's had spells at, at AS Roma and, and Leicester City, but here at Marseille, he looks really comfortable. Um, You know, he's he's left-footed, primarily has been playing on the right. Three goals in three games, I mean, hard to argue with that. He looks very comfortable indeed, combining really well with, with Payet, with with Conrad as well. Um, and, yeah, he's scoring 80, every 83 minutes right now. <laughs> Obviously an unsustainable return, but um right. yeah, he's been he's been very good to I think someone is encouraging him to um which which is good. And yeah, it's just it's nice to see and and tr- Turkish players in general just seem to be thriving in Liga as well. Yeah. <laughs> He saw Yilmaz and was like, I, I need to go there. Like, I need to go to France. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and speaking of former Premier League players who had maybe potentially been written off, uh, <laughs> Sofian Buffal continues his good scoring run for Angers and uh, as they continue to win and are the, you know, main challengers to PSG's perfect start so far. Yeah, Angers, really interesting uh, side to Sofian Buffal. Where did he play? Southampton? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. For, I maybe even for Claude Puel, who manages at Etienne, I can't remember. But yeah, no, he's he's had a good start too. Two goals. Um, just such a good dribbler as well. He and he and Angelo Fulgini are really like the two really interesting players for this Angers side for me. Um, and, and Jimmy Cabo is, is a good player as well. I'm creating for the both of them. So, hey, they're they're a really excited, exciting side, and they are second right now. Eight goals scored, only one conceded. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think they've got Brestois, Stab Brestois next. So uh, I think they should see them off and continue their pretty pretty decent start to, to Ligue 1. Yeah. Yeah, they've uh, they've coped quite well with the start. And they've got, yeah, Brestois and, and then Nance. So, uh a good opportunity leading, you know, to build up a little bit of, of cushion before September 22nd market on your calendars. They take on Marseille. I think that's a must watch like genuinely between yeah, these teams for sure. For sure. Um, but the, 
so yeah, after after another exciting weekend in Ligue 1, it's it's PSG top, Angers, and then Clermont uh, in third. Nice, Nice with a dominant win over Bordeaux and and kind of back to back to winning ways for Gaultier. He looks like he's got that Nice side firing, um, having looked with essentially. I mean, not that many personnel changes from what he inherited. Like he's taken this team and kind of turned them straight around. Yeah, I mean, like we like we previewed on the last pod, Nice are going to be one to watch. Um, they have made some. They just added Andy Delors from Montpellier. Yeah. Um, to already a really nice core of attackers in in Justin Clover, Casper Dahlberg, Calvin Stanks. I mean, Guidi, um, Maolida. I mean, just this this team has so so much to offer. Um, and yeah, I mean, they'll they'll be ones to to watch uh going forward Coltier has them playing how we saw Leo play <laughs> in the better times yeah. uh definitely one of the best coaches in France um I wonder if this job I mean I think he's committed to this job for the medium to long term because of the the resource and and the the assurances that Ineos have made to him sure um as far as building the club and and what their what their goals are but I wonder if people you know over the the continent or maybe across the channel start to look at him I think the temptation is going to start to be there potentially, um, (laughs) especially if he keeps, if he can come in and do basically like what he's done. Um, if he's turning teams around, um, just by virtue of his presence, then he's gonna, he's definitely going to start turning heads. Um, but well, uh, yeah, I think that about, closes us out for the day. We weren't able to, you know, we're not able to talk every single thing. So we'll have some Serie A and Bundesliga talk, um, in the coming, in the coming weeks, um, as those leagues get further in and, and, um, and pick up steam a little bit. Uh, but as we close out our episodes, like we always do, we have our sounds of the season playlist and we add a couple of tracks each, um, each episode, and uh, this is the the hardcore side of hardcore football. We in, incorporate a lot of like rock uh, and and all sorts of alternative music. Um, so me and Mika put together the Sounds of the Season playlist. It's available on Spotify. You can follow along uh, all season long. Just search for Sounds of the Season. Um, and I think if you search hardcore football, you can find it as well. It should come up now. Yes, I had to like add it to our profile, so it should be working now. Okay. and uh so mika what have what have you got as far as additions this week to the sounds of the season season two season two um yeah this is gonna be another monster of a playlist guys just fyi um (laughs) the first one i've gone with is actually kind of different in terms of genre i think we've i think i put circus survive on season one but this is a more recent circus survive song i've gone with get out Yep. I think that's an accurate uh, <laughs> song for the transfer deadline. I think a lot of players are trying to get out, trying to move, trying to start start <laughs> over in new leagues, force their way through, or maybe not. Um, Harry Kane. <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of my favorite Circus Survive songs, so I thought I'd stick it on there. And then the other one is way more like pop punk, I guess. I've gone with a song called Pathetic by Seaway, and there's a line in this song that always makes me laugh. And it's just, 
Um, I kind of want to die, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think all, all my uh, fellow Gooners can understand that one. So, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> right? What you I, got for us, uh, Phil? I I went um, I went first with um, on the on the heavier side of things uh, a a song by a band called Dealer. Um, and it's called violent, violent stimuli. And, uh, my thought here was like some of these results, obviously a little bit jarring mm. to some fan bases and in some cases to some managers. So, you know, there could be some jobs under threat here early in the season, despite the fact we're like three or four games in, in some of these leagues. Um, so but some of these results, business. yeah, some of the results a little, a little jarring. And so, yeah, violent stimuli is, the uh, um, is the name of that song and uh the ending in particular like the ending little breakdown or whatever uh there's just uh it's very unique and the way it changes tempo is really cool um so i really like it you may see that reappear in a different form um at some point uh for hardcore football but then uh the other song that i picked was um by a band called the story so far really well-known pop punk band um from that like pop punk revival era and off their second album, a a song called stifled. Um, and, uh, just a little bit how I was feeling as a Liverpool fan at the, at full time, um, (laughs) of, of the match against Chelsea, a little bit stifled, um, not able to break through, but, um, story so far is, uh, just, a yeah, that when I think of that mid two thousands, pop punk comeback sure. that occurred um or i guess early 2010s or late 2000s early 2010s um story so far is like at the center of that and uh just a just a good angsty pop punk band so and that album is a banger like not not a single bad song on the, oh yeah that album what you can't see i think is what it's called yeah what you can't yeah. see is that album yeah no skips on on that or under soil and dirt the the album Facts. that preceded it those two those two albums are yeah no skips all bangers no just skips. so good um <laughs> nice well they are on the playlist now so sick um eight songs to get y'all going and we've still got season one uh, of the play the playlist available. If you're looking to to supplement, um, and you haven't added that, you can add that on Spotify as well. And whenever we add a song, it will automatically update. You don't have to like do anything; it'll just keep updating all season long, um, and you'll keep getting new music for for whatever you use Spotify for. But um, but yeah, with that being said, um, we've come to the end and. Uh, like I said, at the top of the show, you can follow us at hardcore football at HXC football or at HXC football on Twitter. Um, and you can, uh, you can also find the podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So be sure to give us a follow or a like or a subscription or whatever the case may be. And, uh, until, until next time we will, uh, I hope everyone, um, is, is doing well and we will catch you guys next time.